Let's give it up one more time for our worship team. Good for Ian. Praying Grantis and Candace. And there's a lot of you out there that have not. We're not up here tonight. Man, we are so thankful to all of you seniors that are in the audience, the crowd. Just so thankful to all of you for the, uh, for really for the, the last four years. Uh, class of 2021, uh, I've been with you for the last four years of your high school career, so it's been a joy. That's crazy to think about. I mean, I, I can't believe that. Uh, so it's been an awesome ride with all of you. Thank you for all that you have done, been, the way that you served. I, I just could not be more proud uh, of finally kicking you out, sending you on your way. So uh, uh, that said, wanted to end the, the school year by giving you all an opportunity to, to have the mic, as it were. And so uh, you guys remember last time we did this, we brought Pastor Lucas and Pastor PJ, and we had a great Q&A with them. Well, this time... We upgraded the, the pastor level, and we brought, don't tell me I said that, <laughs> between us. <laughs> no. So uh, tonight, we have the privilege of having two pastors, and I'm excited for you to get to know a little better. Please welcome pastors Mark and Doug. So, What's up, True North? Yeah. So as they're getting ready, uh, getting settled in here, uh, what I'm going to have you guys do is what we did last time. So they're going to put a QR code on the screen for you. That QR code is going to take you to the web page where you can submit your questions. You can submit them anonymously if you would like. Uh, it would be helpful to have a name just so I kind of know what, what kind of question it is. Sometimes I can't always understand the, the tone that you're trying to convey until I kind of have a sense of who the person is. So that's helpful. I won't necessarily out you in terms of your question, but um, if you want it to be anonymous, you can just put in your question. You know who I am, but please don't mention my name, whatever. Uh, so as you're doing that and getting, getting ready, uh, I'd like to start off by asking these two guys a couple starter questions, just so you can get a, a chance to know who they are a little bit. So uh, we'll start with Pastor Mark. Uh, Pastor Mark, who are you married to? How many kids do you have and, and why? I, uh... <laughs> I'm still a little hung up on the fact that you had Pastor Lucas and Pastor PJ doing Q&A. I mean, you just handed them a mic and let them say whatever they want? <laughs> it was dangerous. I like living on the edge, though. That's why I'm in high school ministry. Yeah. You're edgy. You are edgy like that. Okay, so who I'm married to and why? Uh, because she's the love of my life, and I That's love her. That's a good answer. Her name's Bethany. Yeah. Um, clap for Bethany, please. Please. <laughs> so, Bethany, we have been married for 14 years. We have four kids. And um, why we're married is we, we made a vow to each other. <laughs> and is that how it I works view it as days? a lifelong covenant, and I couldn't be happier about it. Are you done having kids? We are. Yeah. Awesome. We've got the A team. So, we've got four kids. All the, they all start with A, and it uh, feels like a complete package. That's great. And just between us, who's your favorite kid? Today? Um, <laughs> not Aaron, my four-year-old. He woke me up in the middle of the night. Oh, Aaron. Oh. Yeah. So Aaron's on the, the bad list. All right. All the other kids are, they're good. They're good. They're good. All right. Pastor Doug, same question. Who are you married to? How many kids? I am married to Kelly with an I, not with a Y. 
great oh, name. Why. Yeah, there you go. She's great. Um, and I have two kids, only two. I'm the lowest on the rung of the pastors that have kids. You can fix that, you know. I could. <laughs> um, but yeah, two girls. So it's, it's all girls in my house. I have a boy dog, though, so uh, I try to... That's right, masculinize Try to have something. <laughs> uh, what ministries do you have the privilege of overseeing? Um, I do uh, kids' ministry, as some of you know, because you've seen me wear, like, crab outfits and stuff online. If you have little ones in your family. Miss that. So all of kids' ministry, and then I also oversee our uh, Abide ministry, which is ministry to your parents. So... Uh, if your parents are involved in that ministry, that means that I get up on stage and I yell at them. And so <laughs> I tell them to be better parents. I tell them to love each other more. And so it's beneficial to you. And I try to help them help you. So it's good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Pastor Mark. So I run Thrive, the, the marriage ministry for newlyweds all the way up to parents of young kids. So if there's anyone in the crowd who's engaged to be married, you can join Thrive as soon as you get married. Anyone? Any, uh, anyone engaged? Got a couple people coming yeah. soon. Good. Maybe. Um, a couple seniors might be getting... They could be. I mean, I'm seeing saying. some potential. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, I run Compass Bible Institute. I'm the director of Compass Bible Institute, so I get to plan stuff. Get to plan stuff and teach stuff for CBI. That's right. All right, so this is True North. We expect privileged information here. So this next question comes uh, with a high degree of expectation. What's something that not many people know about you? Give us something unique that we could say we can hang it over the the church and be like, hey, we know these this thing about Pastor Doug. And it, Pastor did Mark. you ask Pastor Lucas and Pastor PJ the same question? No. Oh. <laughs> what did you ask them? I don't remember. Like, like how how shameful do you want this to be? <laughs> <laughs> the the dirtier the better. <laughs> I don't I don't like that word. Um, <laughs> Maybe dirty is not the right word to describe. Speaking of dirty, I'll share mine. Okay. <laughs> I have been, for as long as I can remember, a germaphobe. Before, I, so see what I did with the dirt? That's, that's and, not even. Yeah, oh, see what I did there? Okay. You're a dad. I, I like things that are clean, but here's the deal. I feel like since COVID, more people have become germaphobes, so I feel like I'm almost less of a germaphobe now than I've ever been before. But I was, I was against germs before it was cool to be against germs. Because <laughs> for the longest time, people would be like, why are you a germaphobe? And I'm like, because I don't like germs. <laughs> you know? And now people are, question. you know, getting viruses that are killing them and doing terrible things to the world. And totally. I'm like, see, germs are bad. <laughs> been vindicated. How is that, like against you in any way. Well, not many people know that about me. I don't go around and just tell everybody unless I'm asked. I, I guess. Okay. Well, well, that's I, good. That's I, good I see your germophobia, and I raise you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you're in high school, and you like different types of music, and you're trying to figure things out, what your preference is. So when I was in junior high, I was trying to figure myself out, and I, I just didn't know what I liked, so I decided I was going to buy my first album, which was on a cassette. Uh, if you, do you know what that is? A cassette? Okay, cassette. And that, that album was none other than the original Backstreet Boys album. Yeah! Yes. My very first purchase of any music for myself was a Backstreet Boys album. I can't say that I'm surprised, Pastor Doug. I, 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 you know, it's exactly in, in my I don't know. where I think I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 
what did you study in college, and, and what were you hoping to do with your life before you became a pastor? So I was a Bible major, and just from the very start, I wanted to study the Bible, and I, so I went to a Christian college, majored in Bible, and I wanted to pursue vocational ministry. So for me, that, that, that was a goal and a desire from probably my junior year on. Wow. And um, I, yeah, it, I guess I could have been redirected along the way. In fact, I, I did try a couple other vocations um, during, col- or right after college, and um, and I was confirmed in my aspiration and desire for ministry. Awesome. Yeah, I, mine was a little different. When I was in high school, I was not a believer, so I became a believer at 19, and I had no idea what I wanted to do whatsoever. When I was in high school, I didn't get good grades, and I, so I went to community college, and I didn't really want to go to college, so I decided I wanted to be a firefighter because that seemed like I could make a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and not have to go to college. So I was going to Crafton Hills Community College with a fire technology degree. I got my EMT license, was entering into the fire academy. Then I got saved. God redirected my life and uh, decided to go to California Baptist University where I jumped into a Bible class, picked that as my major, began serving in my church, and then that was uh, just the process of me uh, growing in faith during my early years. And then kind of getting that same type of confirmation that was affirmed by so many that a, a pastoral direction or ministry direction was a good idea for me. So I continued to pursue that and then went from there and then went on from Cal Baptist to master's degree and the rest is history. So, so both you and Pastor Mark were EMTs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I actually worked at Lake Mission Viejo. That was my first job. I was a lifeguard wow. at the lake. And um, I had never been on the swim team. Some of you crazy people like to swim laps for, for hours and hours, right? And just exhaust yourselves that way. I, I was like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to try out for this lifeguard thing. Had to wear a Speedo. Um, yes. First time. I was still first have time. It. For, I think that might have been the only time I wore one was for the tryouts. I was just like, I think I'm supposed to wear this. Is what everyone else is <laughs> when, you, when you say it might have been the only time, <laughs> does that mean that there could be another time you it, wore a Speedo? I already answered the question of what is one thing that people don't know about you, okay? Um, oh, man. So from there, I, I really enjoyed the first responder training that I got as a lifeguard and some of that um, emergency medical stuff. And so the next logical step was to get my EMT certification. So I did that my senior year of high school, and I started working on an ambulance the summer after my senior year. And then I did that through college. And so I was considering taking a next step beyond that and pursuing more. Wow. But um, I decided to go with something else. Ministry is better. Okay. Can, can you share your gnarliest EMT story? Be, be brief. Gnarliest EMT story. Bodily fluids. I mean, for a germaphobe? So this is, yeah, this was really where my germophobia blossomed. Ah. Yeah. So the worst thing, there, there was all sorts of, um, like, terrible, gory things. But the worst thing wasn't the blood and the guts. It was the dead skin. Oh. This one time. We transported this guy to the hospital, and, like, we were in this box of the ambulance, and it was like, I felt like I was in a cloud of his dead skin. I lifted up his arm for something. It was like, (laughs) and I'm just like, I didn't have a COVID mask. I wish I had a COVID mask back then, and I'm just, like, trying not to breathe, but um, for sure, some of that guy's dead skin cells got in my system? head, my brain, and it's stuck with me ever since. <laughs> He's still with you. <laughs> so, I have one. All right. So I'm, I'm in the ER, actually, as an EMT tech 
for one of my trainings, and I am told to go take blood from this guy. And I walk in the room, and he, um, I had to change out his uh, bag where all of his urine was. And so he was in septic shock, which he was all loopy. And so I, I was changing him out, and he was not aware that I was in the room at all. And he was laying on his back just shooting birds like this with his finger just the whole time. And he's going, pshh, pshh, pshh. And then as soon as, as soon as I stuck him with the needle in the arm to take, no one passed out. As soon as I stuck him in the arm to take his blood, he just slowly turned at me and just went, Pshh. <laughs> I just was cracking up. That was, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's a great story. Okay, so uh, we have several people in the room who are, they're exiting high school. This is their last, you know, their last chapter of this specific phase of their life. So if you could go back and talk to yourself in high school, what's a piece of advice that you would give yourself as you were preparing to leave, or even just during your high school career? Something you would tell yourself. You want me to go first? So you, you have time to think. There's all those dead brain, brain yeah. cells. <laughs> trying to get the skin, skin out of my head. <laughs> yeah. um, my experience as a non-believer is going to be different, I think, than others as a, as a believer. But if, I mean... I think when I was in high school, I had this conception in my mind that, and I think so many high schoolers have it, that you, you know better than your parents, you know better than the adults in your life, you know better, and if you just have the opportunity to live the way that you think you should live, then you'll do better than they did, and their advice is not as necessary. Now, mm. for, for me, as an unbeliever, that looked completely different than it would for most of you as professing Christians here, but... I would just say God has placed people in your life to give you wisdom and advice and counsel and encouragement and correction and training for a reason. And to disregard that and think that you know what's right in your own eyes is very dangerous. And so if I could go back, I would listen to people more and I would have endured less pain, less difficulty, less hardship, I would, uh, I think things would have been a lot smoother. Not, I know God is sovereign, and many things can come in your path for different reasons, but I, I would say that would be something that I would very much want to have someone tell me to listen to those people that are trying to pour into my life, trying to tell me what's wrong, what's right, um, and how I should live. And, and, and a lot of that goes to the Christians that were in my life, and that I just didn't listen to because I thought I could do it better. So what I heard you say is they should listen to their youth pastor. Yes, Pastor Rob, specifically. Amen. Amen. All I heard you say. <laughs> I think that that's really good. Yeah, I echo that for sure. That would have been helpful for me. Um, what I was thinking is I actually um, went to high school here in Orange County. I went to Capo, and so I maybe had a similar upbringing to you guys, at least in terms of the culture in which we were raised. Um, I would say that I would tell myself to be more thankful. Oh, um, I like that. I think you um, have it really good here. Uh, you've got a great church. You've got a great youth pastor. You've got great leaders. Um, we live in a beautiful place. We live in a nice area. Um, and I, th I was probably told that. I don't really remember as much. Um, it's that whole listening to other people thing. But I ought to have been a lot more thankful and grateful than I was and probably complained and grumbled a whole lot less than I did. I think we have it so good here. I say we, me and you, going through high school in this area, we have it so good and we don't even know it. And 
we have it so good, yet we complain and we grumble. And, you know, um, you want to be a light on your campus. You want to be a representative of Christ. Uh, but the Apostle Paul says one of the most profound ways you can do that is by not grumbling or disputing. <laughs> if you're that guy, then you shine like a light in the world. Mm. So I think there's something really significant about being a thankful person. Um, and I suppose we would have to say that whether we're talking about going to high school in Orange County or middle of nowhere. Pastor Mike always talks about Blythe, right? I don't know. Uh, or some third world country. Um, the, the message of thankfulness is there in the Bible regardless of our circumstances. But all the more so, I think we ought to be thankful living here, attending here, being here, having this. And um, I think that would go a long way. It's huge. Well, on that topic of thankfulness, what, what, do you, what do you love? And this is a personal question. What do you love about being a Christian? What really just, I mean, I know it's a weird question. And you might expect, what do you love about being a pastor? But I love that question. Uh, seriously, I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I think there's probably, a, there are a lot of answers. So, um, but maybe one to share, and maybe we can keep going with this, but I think, no, I know that being a Christian has me living life in this world uh, the, the way God designed life to be lived in this world. So we have the book that the creator of the universe wrote that instructs us how to be in the world. So everybody out there thinks they know the best way to be in the world, and they've got it wrong if it contradicts what the Bible says. We actually have God's way uh, detailed for us. And so we can live kind of with the, with the grain of the universe, with the grain of the, the world in which we exist. So the right way to live, the best way to live, I have a purpose, I have a goal, I have values that correspond with the world in which I live. And I think there's a lot of people that we interface with that have values, goals, and purposes that are antithetical to the universe in which they live. And so there's this friction and there's this frustration and there's this, um, there's all these problems. So um, I love being a Christian because it sets me on a path that I wouldn't otherwise be on that is the right way to be in the world. It's mm. a great answer. Uh, for me, there's lots of answers, obviously, but the one that came to mind is I love that I'm not just saved into a relationship with Christ, but I'm saved into a relationship with other believers in the context of a church. Mm. And, I, and I say that very seriously because having lived a, a, a large portion of my life outside of that context, it's taught me the value of that. I mean, for so many of us, we, we tend to like think about our families. Maybe we complain or grumble about our families, about mom and dad did this, my brother and sister did this. But if you, if you live life as an orphan on the street, you would know the value of family. And I think as believers, we get used to the church. We get used to being with brothers and sisters in Christ. We get used to fellowshipping and coming and meeting here. And we might even skip because we're just like, I don't want to go today. But the immense value of having been purchased and bought and been placed into a new family to be children of God with other brothers and sisters in Christ is of immense value. And um, 
it has meant the world to me having, you know, what, you, whatever you have gone on with your family, other people have gone on with their family, but the church is its own unique place, and to value it properly. I, I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. I love the connection with the church, and I think every Christian should develop and think about intensely how they think about the church, engage with the church, because it's not... It's not that Christ just redeemed you and said, now you're in a great relationship with me. Read your Bible in your room and sit on a chair all day long, right? It, it, it's you're being saved into a community to minister to a community, to live in community. And, and for that reason, it, it's, it's, it's fulfilling. It's life-giving. There's, there's, there's so much support and love. And I, I love that. I love that about being a Christian is that we are brothers and sisters together, all of you. Even though I might not have talked to you face-to-face, we're, we're together in Christ. Amen. What's your answer to that question, Pastor Rod? Oof. Back at you. That's tough. Uh, I could go on for a long while on this, so I'm just going to be super, super brief. I have been really savoring a lot lately uh, that my sins are forgiven. Uh, I know it's basic, but it is something that has been endlessly fascinating me lately that I can stand before Christ guiltless and in his righteous robes even though I am still presently sinning and will sin, and even though I'm fighting against that, I could still be considered guiltless before the, uh, before the Lamb of God, or because of the Lamb of God taking away my sin. So there's a, I mean, I would amen everything you guys said, but right now that's been the thing that's been connecting with my heart. Thanks for asking that. Uh, and I think you guys probably already know that. You've heard me preach a lot about that lately, so that's probably not a surprise. Okay, speaking of you guys, I've got a lot of questions here. Thank you for sending in all these awesome questions. I, I know for a fact we're not going to get to all of them, but we're going to get to as many of them as we can. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys to be gracious, pastors, because they're not, they, they didn't submit their questions in topical order. I don't know why not, but <laughs> so they're a bit disparate. They're, they're, they're disconnected, but that's okay. You guys are ready for it, right? You're used to this stuff. Okay, so uh, I want to start the first one here. Um, th- this one I feel like is kind of common to people. I, I tend to feel overly guilty of my sin, even when I'm uh, forgiven by people, and I would infer by the rest of the question, and, and I know I'm forgiven by God. How do I avoid not being consumed by guilt? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You go first on this one. I think it's good that you feel guilty when you sin. Uh, I know it's good that you feel guilty when you sin. You're supposed to. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you, and that's the right, that's what's supposed to happen. In fact, you should be worried if you don't feel guilty when you sin. So the guilt is a good thing. But you can go too far with it, and you can wallow in your guilt, and that becomes a problem. And um, I think the problem there is um, maybe you, you should view it this way, that you need to trust God when he says you're forgiven, that you are forgiven. Um, and that's a, maybe a simple answer to this question, but at the bottom line here, uh, the Bible is clear, and Pastor Roger said it's one of the joys of being a Christian, and I agree that you, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's true, and if you wallow in your guilt, you say, maybe without your words, that you don't believe that. You don't trust God at his word, so You've got to trust that when the Bible says you can be forgiven, that, that God means it and that you can be forgiven. And so you have to put your sins in the past and um, move forward from them. And so I think that's maybe the, the, the start to an answer. It's a great answer. I, I think that 
it, it depends on the personality of the person asking the question, but oftentimes it's because we feel guilty because we feel like we should be punished for it and because maybe there's not a direct correlation to punishment that we experience for committing a secret sin or a, a sin of the mind or whatever that may be, you, you punish yourself because you recognize the you should be punished for that sin. And it's just a failure to recognize the punishment that was levied on Christ for your sin. And to come to a better and fuller understanding of uh, what Christ did in taking on the full measure of the wrath of God on himself for your sins uh, it helps you understand that your sin is punished, it was punished, it was dealt with. And, yeah. and to have that picture in your mind of Jesus drinking the full measure of the cup of God's wrath uh, not to the last drop for your sake, you don't need to go beyond punishment in that sense. Um, and there's so many other things to say. We could, uh, I think about the psalmist, David in particular, how many times in the penitent psalms that are some of my favorite where he is recognizing his sin, he's lamenting over his sin, he's crying out to God in anguish over his sin, he's clearly uh, having an emotional reaction to his sin, and then yet in the same just same passage, same verse, only a few verses later can turn that around so quickly into hope in God, think on these things that are true, think on God's character, who He is, what He's done, how He's a forgiving God, how He's merciful, how He loves His children, how He upholds His covenant. And so Christians need to get good at flipping themselves in the sense that they you need to recognize sin is sin, deal with the guilt, recognize that Jesus paid for that, and then go to the promises of God in in those particular passages quickly. Go there quickly. Don't don't just sit as a sinner. Recognize that you're also a saint. That there's there's a change that has transpired in Christ, and to go there quickly, not to sit in it. So to to be good at disciplining yourself to do that. So Pastor Doug is interesting. The first part of your answer, you said maybe we feel guilty because we are not directly punished, that Christ is punished. And I, as you were saying that, I was like, well, that makes me feel even more guilty. <laughs> Thanks, well, That's your Doug. fault. <laughs> right? But is, isn't there a sense in which if you commit a crime and someone else gets busted for it, yeah. put to death for it, well, <laughs> that, makes, that ought to make you feel even worse. And so I guess that's maybe to my, back to my point that good. It's good that you feel guilty. Your answer was insufficient. <laughs> no, I'm just interacting with it because I, that struck me. Um, and so what do you do with that, I feel even worse comment? You live for Christ. I mean, we're, we're purchased with a price to be slaves for God. We are, we, are now, we are now slaves to Christ. So there's an indebtedness to our Christian life that we should feel. So if I feel even more guilty, it's, I don't know if guilt's the right thing, but it should drive us to live for Him. That, that's the way I would put it. It's like, okay, whatever you're feeling there, if you can rightly recognize the sufficiency of the payment of Christ's death and the atonement that you receive from Him, then the, and if you still feel some sense of obligation for receiving that reward, then that obligation should motivate you to Christian living. I mean, yeah. For you, Pastor Mark, um, in a relationship, should both the guy and the girl be on the same spiritual maturity level? Uh, why is this for Pastor Mark and not me? 
Because he's in the, the marriage, the thrive. What, what does abide? Well, that's for people with high schools. So yeah. like, that's like I'm freshly married, and so he's, he's probably okay. counseled them. Okay, I'll accept it. <laughs> I have a different question for you. Don't, okay. don't worry. Oh, good. Okay, so I was going to say yes, and, but, um, but let me say more. At, yes, or um, if, if you're a, a girl in the crowd here, you should really marry someone. Wait, was the question about marrying or dating? It, well, dating. Um, okay. should, they, should they be on the same spiritual maturity level? Would it be bad if one of them is a little less mature than the other? Okay, I up the ante, and I'm just going to going to marriage here. Um, but you should be looking for someone to yoke yourself to, who you can follow, someone who's going to lead you spiritually. And so, if you are strides ahead of them spiritually, you're putting yourself in a difficult position to tie the knot mm. and um, marry them and and follow them and follow them the way the Bible calls you to as as a wife. So. Um, at least they ought to be around the same uh, range in their spiritual maturity. That's a helpful answer. Um, unrelated, but thought I'd throw it at you. How do I read my Bible and not just do it to check off the box? Pastor Doug. Do I not read my Bible? Why? I just thought <laughs> Pastor Doug read it more, so. <laughs> I know you want to move on, but I want to say something about that. Can okay. I, yes. that okay. Please feel, feel welcome. So the heart, and I, I, I've... I struggle with that question because I think that it depends on how you define maturity um, because maturity can look different in different areas of the Christian life. So someone could be more mature in that they are more disciplined in reading their Bible to tie it to the next question. Um, there's lots of ways to categorize maturity. So yes, generally say maturity level, but I think it gets easy to pinpoint, hey, in this particular area, they're not mature. So generally they're not mature. Uh, and that might not be the case. There's, we're all on a trajectory of, of growth, and so some are growing in some areas faster than others, and that becomes challenging because guys and girls kind of approach things differently. Mm. They, they tend to have more strengths and weaknesses in different areas. So to identify a weakness in a guy that you as a woman might find as a strength, maybe look around and say, does every other Christian girl I know strong in this and Christian guys not strong in this? Um, that might be an indication that maybe there's just a, a different level of growth and maturity over time. That, so, yes, you should be equally yoked, and definitely for marriage, but to go beyond that and say to, to be discerning in your uh, ability to see maturity in others, that there's, it's more multifaceted. With that being said, Bible question. I think that First of all, and I hope this is not too controversial, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that experience of ch checking the box and reading your Bible in the sense that this is a spiritual discipline and disciplines are not always motivated by a, a large sense of joy, right? Not always. They, they often are, but they often are not as well. So if you are struggling with that, I would say, first of all, if that is something that's going on, that is not reason to give up. If you can't cultivate joy or get more out of your Bible reading than just feeling the sense of checking your box, uh, that's not a reason to give up. Keep going, press on, endure, let it have its work as it kind of slowly trickles into you, maybe with a little bit of opposition from you and not wanting to do it or not wanting to be motivated by it. But I would say in, in my 
my experience, I would say one of the best ways to be excited about reading your Bible and to, to do your DBR every single day is that you are actively using it uh, in ministry. And, and ministry is not what we're doing here on the stage, just this idea. It's in your context, with your small group, with your people, when you go on an STM, when you're doing evangelism, when you're being a light in your school, when you are answering questions and calling things out in your friends and dealing with the sin in your own life, you're going to be drawn to the Word. So the more you use the Word and find use for it, the more you're going to want to be in it. Amen. So it's a really helpful thing. If you're like, I'm really struggling to get in the world, sign up for an STM, Go evangelize your neighbors. Talk to your friends that you know are in sin, that you, you've, you've not talked to. I mean, you do those things, you're going to find yourself being pressed, pressed back into the Word. And you'll find a greater joy in doing it and learning and growing in it. That's huge. And I think maybe I would add another component to this and just say, um, if you want to battle like the kind of the duty of reading, got to check it off, got to do it. I would say um, seek to understand what you're reading because oftentimes it feels like a drudgery when you don't know what you're reading. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't even know what this means, but I'm supposed to read it. So, uh, all right. But when you do understand what it means, um, it's like mind-blowing. It's amazing. It's exhilarating. Like you're finding new things. Amen. That's awesome. And this is a mine that you can mine. <laughs> Do you mine at mines? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, for, for the rest of your life. So it's like you don't, you don't master the book and find all the answers. Like you, every time you dig, there's more to find. There's more to appreciate. There's more to learn. And I just find myself gripped by the Bible when I'm tracking with what it says finding new things, understanding things like I've never understood them before. Like, that's where I want more. Uh, and it's the times when I don't get it that it, it feels like work. Yeah. Well, speaking of Scripture and the, some of the things that, that it says that are sometimes hard to understand or just difficult to wrap our minds around, um, what are your thoughts about modern-day exorcism? You see Jesus do this in the Gospels. Uh, the disciples did it to some measure. Is exorcism something we should expect to happen today? Um, how do we know? Are demons still dwelling in people, Pastor Doug? Should we exorcise them? How, are they still prevalent today? <laughs> okay, go ahead. I just want Pastor Mark to start <laughs> really badly on this one. I don't know why. <laughs> I can start. Yeah, just start and let me... Learn. Add, Let's go. That. Let's go to the world of exorcism. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, Jesus cast out demons. Um, what the Bible instructs us to do, however, is resist the devil. It's pretty clear. So you can look in James chapter 4, verses starts in 7 and goes on to verse 8. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, right? First Peter chapter 5, um, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. When it comes to battling Satan, our job description consists of that command right there, uh, resist. 
It doesn't say pull out your um, weapon and fight back and um, rebuke Satan or talk to Satan or engage with Satan. It says resist him. Turn and run the other way. So I think that's a really good starting place, and I, I have a, a lot of confidence about doing that as it relates to the very real uh, spiritual forces that are around us today. Uh, spiritual warfare is real. Demons are real. Um, Satan does prowl around like a roaring lion. But what I'm supposed to do is resist. Yeah, um, I think this, this idea of, of demons, demon possession, um, demonic activity gets lumped in in Christian circles with the fringe things that we, we l- like to talk about. So when we talk about charismatic gifts, uh, speaking in tongues, healing, it, it tends to get lumped into the, the category of spiritual gifts for some reason. And so we start to think, oh, is this something that's gone away or ceased or passed away? And it's, This is a different category of thing. It's not, uh, you don't have the spiritual gift of exorcism. That's not something that, that, that's talked about in that way. Um, so to, to redefine it in those terms and understand that this is something that was, of course, taking place during Jesus' time. Uh, Jesus was casting out demons. The apostles were casting out demons. Even non-apostles are said to have been casting out demons. You've got uh, non, um, even of the group of Jesus' apostles, casting out demons. And so there is clearly a demonic presence, demonic force. There is this reality that this can take place. And yet, I, I, I think what Mark said is accurate, but we're saying that because this is not something that we should desire to do. In the sense that we don't want to be no, we don't want to be like that movie Constantine, where whatever his name is, is casting out demons. That's like his job. I saw the movie before as a Christian, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, just ignore that. Um, that we don't want to be the guy with the holy water going around looking for 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 demons. I guess is what I'd say. Yes, it's a very real thing, um, but it's not something that we should be looking for. I think that goes to your point. Okay, thanks for that, guys. Okay, we've come to our very first lightning round. The rules of this particular part of our Q&A is that you can only answer in one sentence or less. Okay, pastors, I know you guys like preaching. One sentence or less for these next questions. Are you ready? Totally. I don't want to. Too bad. (laughs) We're doing this anyway. I lost my questions. Um, What are your opinions about blueberries? So all you get is one sentence. Sorry. It's the rules of the game, buddy. They are good in smoothies. I'm growing small ones in my backyard. <laughs> What's the best worship song? Oh. I know it's hard because you know all of them, Pastor Doug. Oh, man. Uh, my, my, I have two ferrets. Uh, it is well with my soul. I'll say that. Oh, that's a good Same one. as yours. That's a good one. I like... Pastor Mark listens to, like, Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack in his office. <laughs> and explicit gangster rap. I've heard both. <laughs> we sang Be Thou My Vision today. I like that one. You like that one? That's your fit. That's the best worship song? Okay. No, only one, one set. Sorry. Okay. Um, what do you most appreciate about your wives? 
can get into trouble here. That's um, okay. I gave you a restriction. One sentence is what you get. And um was the beginning of the sentence. Her, I, I appreciate most about my wife, her absolute love for the Lord. It's total and complete. That was two sentences, and but I'll let that pass. I was, I was going to say, Alma. I was going to say how much she loves me, and then you said how much she loves the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's you just true. like one-upped me, man. Well, that's fine. <laughs> well, that's what you were going to say, she, so that that would have hypothetically been your answer. <laughs> she, no, she does. She loves me well. It, it's amazing. That's great. Should I be tanning and studying Song of Solomon? 100%. You're the marriage pastor, I guess. Come on, 100%. It's great poetry. Good answer. Why do I have? No, that was one sentence. There's a lot of garbage poetry out there. It's, yeah. Song of Solomon is good. Why are Mark Kogan's offspring so cute? It's a mystery. If Mark Kogan was involved, then I don't know. Ooh. I love Mark. I love Mark. Is that really a question? You're in my list, man. I'm just asking the questions. I'm just asking the questions people want to have answers to, Pastor okay, okay. Doug. Keep going. Is there more lightning? Um, this is still lightning, yes. This is a, do, you not want to, do you not think his kids are cute? I, I don't know who. Where are they? Are you here? All kids are cute. That's not true. Okay. Do you have an example of a not cute kid? Tell you later privately. (laughs) Uh, There is one that I wanted to end on in our first lightning round. I like that we just gave really slow answers during the lightning round. They were one sentence. They were really slow. (laughs) We weren't trying at all. All right. Last question of the the first lightning round here. Uh, What are some ways in which cats are better than dogs? They're not annoying. What was that? Cats are, dogs are not annoying. Cats are annoying. Amen. It's annoying. I'm not going to give that question the dignity of an answer. (laughs) Yes. All right, all right. Back to our slightly longer than one sentence answers. Okay, this person asks, uh, can you please explain a Christian's point of view about fossils, dinosaurs, and the world being four and a half to several billion years old? Okay. You got that? Sure. Um, the, I think it's good to understand the, 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 the premise of what's being said here, and I, I do like to, to think about this from a worldview perspective. If the worldview of an atheist requires them to have some form of answer to the age of the universe apart from the existence of a sovereign, all-powerful, eternal God. And so uh, when you hear out there this, these claims that are being made, you have to understand that this is not just an, a totally independent, unbiased comment that is made about the age of the earth apart from their own personal worldview. So there is significant worldview implications in making comments about the age of the earth uh, that are important to understand. Uh, from from my perspective, I, I, I from Compass's perspective, very much so a 
you know, a literal day, young earth creation perspective is the biblical perspective. Uh, there is a lot of good, solid answers for the uh, discrepancies for what appears to be age. Uh, for instance, just the basic understanding that God had created things mature at the creation. So when Adam is created, he's not created as an infant, and then he grows. He's created as a fully mature man. It's very much possible for God to create a mature universe. So the appearance of age that we have within the universe itself, uh, it does not necessitate an old universe. It just necessitates the fact that God created a mature universe. And then the cataclysmic nature of at least the observable Earth's uh, response, volcanic, and all this kind of cataclysmic stuff that we can see in ice ages can almost all exclusively be attributed to uh, the worldwide cataclysmic, cataclysmic flood, uh, Noah's flood. And so uh, the same thing is true with, with fossils. Fossils observably um, don't just happen slowly over time. They happen through cataclysm. There has to be a, a massive amount of dirt put on top of something that's living before it is able to be decayed for it to be able to be fossilized, which just gives more evidence to uh, a global flood. You see all of that leading towards a biblical perspective of a literal six-day creation, and did, did I forget something? That was great. Okay, D dinosaurs, awesome. dinosaurs. You do dinosaurs. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I was going to start with the book of Genesis. It's interesting, you know, I, I, I was a great answer, and you say... You want to engage with the people who are saying the things that they're saying. I, there's another route to take and just to say, look, I don't know what you're finding with dinosaurs. <laughs> look, I, I don't know what science you're looking at. Here's what, I, here's what I'm looking at. It's what the Bible says. And I am really frustrated with the way science is constantly changing. And I guess, I guess that's the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to always update and learn new things and find new things and all that. But... What that means is science is changing its mind all the time. I mean, look at the science of the last year with the virus and, you know, the facts. And so when we, we've had four babies and, um, you know, like the, the rules for a pregnancy when we had our first baby versus the rules, like what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat. I was allowed to eat everything, but my wife, you know, what uh, <laughs> she's not allowed to eat, it, it changed. It's like, well, don't eat lunch meat. Well, you can eat lunch meat. It doesn't really matter. What? So, anyway, uh, the science of what they're finding with dinosaurs is going to be different tomorrow than it is today. So I don't even want to engage it. That's, that's how I feel sometimes. Sometimes we do need to engage it. Right. But what the Bible says is uh, in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And he uses the word yom for day, which is the word that means day, one day, when it occurs in the Bible. So it's just like we can start there. And we can know a lot about the truth. And we can come to understand the way the universe was created by looking at the, the book that the person who created it wrote. Thanks, guys. Are tattoos a sin? Pastor Mike has a YouTube video on this that has like... I thought you were going to say, Pastor Mike has a tattoo. <laughs> I did too. I Ask was like, him really? about his tattoos, okay? Uh, he has a YouTube video that has so many views. I feel like you should just go watch his YouTube video. I, I, but I, he, he gives a, a long answer that says it's not, 
explicitly sinful, but you need to consider, you know, the wisdom of it, and it's a long, long decision, and so he's got a bunch of qualifications in there, but I think the bottom line is um, it's not an inherently sinful act, but you should think before you do that, and you should think before you do other stuff, too. I, I think that's I think that's sufficient. Yeah, I don't but think it, it is clearly clearly a sin, but it should, it's something to enter into advisedly and slowly either, and cautiously. Do either one of you have tattoos? No. Do not. Do you? I do. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you when I got my first one either. How many views does that YouTube video have? I, I, do you want me to pull it up? No. It's like one of his most popular ones. I don't, Seriously. It's up there. On tattoos? Yeah. Yeah. So you should watch that. Okay. That's the answer. So I've seen a couple questions on this list now that have to do with cussing. Uh, I'll just read this one, and I'll give you the gist of some of the others here. Uh, notice a lot of solid, longtime Christians are singing cuss words in popular songs. It's not terrible cussing, but words that from these songs that, as a Christian, I wouldn't think is pleasing to God to sing. Um, so how should Christians think about cussing? How do we... Uh, we address that. What is a cuss word? And what should we do with those words? Well, I'll start with the passage. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so it doesn't say don't cuss, but it actually uses descriptive words. And listen to the description of the words that we're not Christians aren't shouldn't really use: um, filthy words, foolish words, or crude jokes. So, um, whether it's a cuss word or not, you shouldn't be using language that's filthy, that's crude. Uh, instead, you should be uh, marked by your language, by your vocabulary, by your words, by your tone, by your body language, um, because you're a Christian. Yeah, I think the way that the argument goes for a lot of Christians is, where's the line of what I can do and can't do? And then we want to walk that line. And so we like to try to redefine what is appropriate for us to do and what's allowable. And I think when it comes to the tongue, I think the the Biblical teaching is that we're to restrain the tongue because in James 3 it says that it's, it's like a restless evil and that you, you can't tame it, not, not even if you're a perfect man. You would be a perfect man if you could tame the tongue. Um, the, the teaching in the Bible is clear that it's out of this, the, the heart that the mouth speaks. We know that the sinful inclinations of our heart is to do to evil. And so even as we're battling the flesh, the way we should approach thinking about how we use our words and how we use our tongue should not be, what can I say and get away with, but how can I most use my mouth to glorify God, restraining my words for the edification of others, not for the tearing down, for being salt and light in the world, for being a good model and example of Christ. So I just think the whole category of framework of thinking about the Bible and cursing is opposite. It's backwards. It's flipped upside down. It shouldn't be, is cursing wrong? It's like, why is that even a question? If, if, if there's even a question of if it is wrong, the way the Bible speaks to it is, yeah, let's, why, are we, why are we dabbling in this? Why are we even 
asking this question. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but I do think that it's a backwards question, that we should restrain our lips, be careful what we say. Can I just ask a question then, clarifying that? What would you define as a potty word? You know, if we, because, okay, I'm, 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 I mean, serious though, because people make up, you know, there's the Christian cuss words, you know, like they'll say frick or something, something similar, where they'll take a, a cuss word and they'll just kind of rearrange it to make it sound less offensive. So how does a Christian navigate between, I'm using a euphemism, which is not the word, but I know what I'm saying, but I'm trying not to say that. I don't want to sound like a doofus when I talk. Yeah, so words have meaning, and, um, and the, the culture almost uh, shapes what that meaning is. The culture lat- attaches meaning onto words and values onto words. And so uh, there are some words that you could have the, most, the purest intentions in uttering this word, but the culture perceives it as a, um, a bad word which, ironically, bad words are celebrated, so it's not a bad thing to say a bad word. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's not just about your conscience and whether you feel bad by saying frick or not. It's about what other people around you think when you say that, because that word means something um, outside of you. When, you. when you say it, when it leaves your mouth, it means something that other people understand. And so... What are they going to think about you? What are they going to think about Christ? What are they going to think about your church, your values, your testimony, if you say these words? So I think words that are dangerous are, to answer your question, are words that take the Lord's name in vain or are adaptations of words that take the Lord's name in vain. So even, um, I mean, have you guys heard, Pastor Mike taught on this too. Um, so... <laughs> You, you want us to look up another video. You should listen to his sermons on that. <laughs> um, he, he taught one whole thing, whole revival on um, taming the tongue. Yeah, Were you guys there for that? Yeah. So he talked about um, words like gosh. That's just an adaptation of God. So if you say, oh, my gosh, it's really just a nice way of saying, oh, my God. And so as soon as you start thinking that way, it's like, well, what, what are all the words that I say? And a lot of these words that we say, a lot, a lot of the dangerous, you know, domain here is like stuff that you're just like, you stub your toe and you have a, a whatever your go-to saying is. <laughs> What's yours? What, what is, um, oh, I don't know. I feel like I have a couple. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't get you off track. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um, what are your go-to words when something like that happens? And just evaluate those because those, that's easy to change. You can change that kind of reactionary language and clean it up a little bit to be careful. And then in terms of things that you're singing, yeah, I, I, or singing? Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah, that's part of it. encourage that. Yeah, that's good. It, it's hard because the, the curse words are defined by culture, but they're also defined within the church, right? So there, there's a lot of older people in our congregation, right? You're in a group of young people, yep. so you don't think of yourself as just an isolated group. We're part of a whole body, and there's a lot of older people that are going to hear the word frick and, and be very offended. And so it goes to this, you know, 1 Corinthians 8 principle that if it's causing your brother to stumble, why would you do it? It's a non-thing. It's a non-necessary thing. So Paul is re- referencing food, which is necessary for the body, but saying I can, I can go without meat, eating meat forever if it means that I'm not causing my brother to stumble. So in the same way that you would think about your dress or your clothing, it's not just you and whether it offends your conscience. It's 
it's in reference to the body of Christ as well. So if it would be inappropriate for you to show up in a bikini to church, which it would be, don't do that. Uh, or a Speedo. Yeah, or a Speedo, or Pastor, speedo Mark. Pastor Mark. Um, <laughs> then it, I think it falls into those same categories, that it, the way that the, the people in our community, in our culture, in our church would, would think through these things, we should be receptive to being respectful in our demeanor towards them with our words, with our dress, with our actions? This is a challenging question, but how do you navigate pronouns? And, and I had another one say that I have a friend who recently came out to say, I'm changing my pronouns. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't, I don't think it's a hill to die on. I don't like it. I don't know how else to say that. I don't like it. Um, I, I prefer to use the pronouns that are appropriate to use given their biological sex. Um, when talking about them not to the person, I guess I could say, right? When we talk about... It gets confusing real quick. Caitlin slash Bruce Jenner, we often say he. We don't, I don't think we... Yeah. We, no, talk, we, don't. we don't say she. If the person is in the room, we're, we're dealing with a different level of engagement because we're now not speaking about the person or referencing them, but we're speaking to a person. Right. So I think that's the heart of the question is, should we use them? Because I think the question is, well, then it validates their identity. Um, I think it calls for wisdom. I do. I, I think it depends on the circumstance. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's good. I want to die on that hill, but. That's good. Maybe um, one route you could take is use the God-assigned pronoun first and wait to be corrected by the person, which opens the door to have a conversation with the person about why you would use that word and why they would want you to use a different word. And now, now we're in a conversation. And, you know, take it from there. Um, but I'm going to lean toward using the, the God-assigned gender um, pronouns. You guys heard three different answers from three different pastors. I mean, they're similar, right? But you guys remember my answer. So I thought it'd be helpful to have them answer. So use the wisdom God gave you. Do a, as your conscience allows. What did you say? I told him not to use the pronoun. I told him to use their, their name. Yeah. So if I'm having a conversation with you and... That's tactful. That's a tactful response. Well, I said, I don't, I don't think you can call someone's pronoun because um, you're, you're not able to tell the truth in that moment. You're denying reality in order to spare someone's feelings. And so I said, I can't do that. Therefore, I will use their legal name, which I'm okay with that. I could call them Caitlin. I, I can call Bruce Caitlin. That's his name now. But it's a, it's a feminine name. Yeah, but there are lots of names that have blurred categories and that takes time for that to change so I'm okay I can I can do but that's I'm not I'm not denying reality at that point the name on his birth certificate now says or whatever certificate he has his license now legally says Caitlin I can say that name because that's tied to that person even though it has a feminine a feminine twist but I can't say she because that's not reality that's lying And I appreciate your answer. Wisdom, I'm sure that there would be cases where I would maybe lean on what you're saying. I mean, I, I guess part of it is 
for the sake of an argument, you can grant something without agreeing to it. So if I'm, so you could say, okay, say that's the case. You you can you can use those terms so that you can engage in a conversation without being in agreement. So I think that there's different approaches you could take. So it, 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 maybe it just depends. I I, don't I think your tactic is right. When you're talking to a person, you're saying you and using the person's name. Yeah. Most of the time, and that's the where I think it's the. The I mean, if you're dealing with friends and someone's like, you have to use their name. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, use their use their pronoun. I I don't want to. Isn't it interesting to also to think about like who is the person? Because if it's like your brother or your, uh, you know, your in your sister-in-law or someone that you you have a lifelong relationship with this person, whether you like it or not, that your family, you you are attached to this person for life. So you're playing the long game in your relationship with that person. Whereas if it's you know someone at school who's you know you pass in the halls and they say, hey, I want you to call me this, <laughs> and you say, no, um, that is probably going to be a really short-term relationship. And maybe that's, that's good. Um, how many uh, people want to hang out with me if they know I'm going to call you by your God-assigned gender? That, that's going to be offensive to them. They're not going to like that. And they're probably not going to be become best friends with me. And... So that's going to be a short-term relationship. So I think where this gets really difficult is in the long-term brother-in-law, family member, what do we do with this? That's where uh, it gets really tricky to me. That's fair. That's helpful. Uh, since we're kind of on a heavier thing already, let me throw this one at you. Um, this one has to deal with the assurance of our salvation. I got saved almost two years ago, but I'm having a really hard time with assurance of my salvation. I keep sinning and running away from God, I'm scared I'm not actually saved, and it's making me feel disconnected from God. How do I have full assurance? Um, I know this is a regular thing for high school students who grow up in the church. Again, I, I didn't have this experience, but um, there's often so many professions of faith, but just lack of clarity on whether that really transpired. I would say that it's important to recognize the reality that we will continue sinning after we, uh, after we be get after we get saved. So it's it's not necessarily proving the lack of genuineness of your faith and the regeneration process that's taken place if you sin. It's not necessarily that. It is though if that looks like full-on rebellion, uh, failure to repent. Uh, continued progress into the direction of apostate, where you're you're defecting from the faith. I think the tendency is I sin, and that immediate sin response is you you put it into the place of evidence that you're not a Christian. Not that should make you guilty. It should make you concerned. And what that should do it, that that serves as a functional reality in your life to press you back to Christ. When you sin after you get saved, it should be something that presses you back to turn and repent and trust and believe in the salvation that's wrought through Christ. So it, it's, it's probably the most important thing to not let your sin be bigger than the way the Bible talks about it, that, it can be, that it's dealt with once and for all, that it's, it's completely covered. Um, and yet, with that being said, if you're in a habitual 
a, a habit, a continual habit of sin that is unrepentant, you should be not assured of your salvation. That is, I mean, just that's that would stand against you that you're not saved. You might be one of the soils that it's not real. So you should be concerned. So to answer your question, how do we become more assured of our salvation? Well, do the right thing when you sin. Repent, trust, look for that assurance that comes through Christ, forget that thing, and move on. Press forward towards the goal, to the upward call of Christ. I mean, just keep going. Keep going. Let, let that go. Keep going. Don't just let that affect you completely. Mm -hmm. That's good. <clears throat> I think it might be helpful to talk to someone about it. I don't know if the person who wrote that question, you know, uh, is anonymous or anything like that, but I would I would talk to my small group leader. I would talk to Pastor Rod. I, I would have a conversation Amen. about that. Um, and I would also start reading the book of First John. I mean, that, that that is a book that John tells us he wrote so, so that we could know that we have eternal life. So that seems like a really helpful book to to read and reread and, and continue to reread. Um, and the, uh, did I say Gospel of John or First John? Because it's First John. First John, it really is like black and white, um, dark and light, um, good and bad. And there, there are just certain characteristics of a Christian that are there if you're a Christian. And so you can see what those are when you read through the book of First John. And you can look to see if your life matches up with that. And I think it's also important to add here that it wasn't your good behavior, wasn't your good works that got you saved. So it's not going to be your good works that keeps you saved. Uh, do you have faith? Do you trust Christ? Have you given your life to him? Um, that is what makes you right with God, not your performance. Now, we understand that good fruit follows when that's happened. So it needs to be there, but it's not the thing that keeps you saved. Um, so I think that's an important piece to add to this uh, discussion about assurance. <laughs> so there's several questions that talk about dating, uh, specifically dating someone who's not a Christian. And I'll just use this one. This is a good, a good template. Should I break up with my Mormon girlfriend? Yes. It's our Cults and World Religions pastor, or uh, teacher teaching there. You taught a class that included the religion of Mormonism, and yeah, it's a, a major, major problem. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't know this, whoever's writing this question, because Mormons don't say this clearly, they think they're Christians, and they'll say that they are Christians. They are not Christians. So definitively, they are not Christians. So you are unequally yoked in, in a relationship of some kind with an unbeliever who is actively believing in the uh, lies and wrong thinking. And um, I, 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 I want to say this really really strongly, but I just don't, if you're a professing believer, why, why would you do that? Um, you are, you are redeemed and purchased for Christ and set apart for him and to unite yourself even in, not, we're not even talking about marriage, we're just talking about in a relationship where you are 
you are giving of yourself to some degree to them, emotionally, with time, investment, giving of yourself to them. You being are, influenced by them. Yeah, you're, you're, you're being united with someone who is categorized as in the dark, and light has no place with darkness. And so those two things are mutually exclusive. They, they should not exist in the same place where darkness is, if light enters, the darkness is gone. So how can you be united, tied together with, with someone who is an unbeliever as a Christian? You, I mean, just you, you should not be. Absolutely, definitively, make a resolve in your heart to never date an unbeliever. I mean, this is not a, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's just, I'm not going to do it. It is self-controlled. It's discipline. I really like the person. They're really cute. I mean, I don't care. Is your love for Christ more than your desire to hang out with a cute boy or a cute girl? If it's not, check your love for Christ. Because if you're not willing to die for him, give up your entire life, pick up your cross daily, if you're not willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be with this person even though I really like their personality, well, then you, you have wrongly ordered your life, and your, your life is now suspect to not being in the faith. I would say your love for Christ is not evident. If your love for someone who is walking in out apart from uh, outside of the truth in a, in a religion that is openly opposed to what we believe it's wrong it's too that's strong but it's wrong pastor doug doesn't care if the kogan's baby is cute <laughs> he doesn't care if your boyfriend or girlfriend is cute that's right okay no care okay I think that's a good answer i like it so i don't need to add anything to it all right we have so many more questions here than we have time to answer so i think it's time for another Lightning round. I'm, I'm, ready. Uh, I'm ready this time. <laughs> Clap for that. I was hoping for more questions about dating, but let's go to the lightning round. That's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, we still have, there's, there's other questions in here that I think you guys are going to love. Uh, so the rules again, pastors, you get one sentence to answer these potentially very long-winded answers. Okay, questions. All right, this is a good one. You ready? Here it goes. How should Christians love others best during Pride Month, even while the world around us is promoting these non-Christian ideas? One sentence, please. <laughs> one sentence, please. Can you read it again? Uh, I got one. Do, do it in person, not on social media. Excellent. See, that was good. It was good. Say amen or amen. Amen. Do miracles still happen? What kind of miracles? That's just the answer. I I was one sentence is just question with a question. (laughs) What kind of miracles? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes and and yes and no kind of. (laughs) God God performs miracles. People don't. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Is speaking in tongues biblical? Speaking in tongues. Is speaking in, speaking tongues, in biblical. tongues biblical? Biblical. It's very biblical. <laughs> and it needs to be defined properly. <laughs> Not a question, but Pastor Doug seems pretty cool. Remember the Backstreet Boys scenario <laughs> and the crab outfit. So just. Why do you guys never answer my questions? 
because of Pastor Rod's in control. <laughs> yep, blame Pastor Rod. Did y'all choose your shirts to match the background? I've been wearing this shirt since I was the pastor of True North. <laughs> I told Pastor Rod earlier that that pink background that you used for that last worship song is, should be his background all the time when he preaches. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza? Yes. 100%. <laughs> we, we had that today. <laughs> we had that today. We did, yeah. Um, it's the most controversial thing we've said. <laughs> I got a lot of booze for the cats thing, <laughs> but I don't like cats. Okay, I, I think this one's asked genuinely. Why do we do STMs when we have people in California who need Christ? You want to answer that, Pastor Doug? Yeah. I wasn't sure what this meant. <laughs> I'm going to answer your question in one sentence by asking another question. Why do you drive past Burger King to go to In-N-Out? That probably needs more explanation. Because people <laughs> in other places are better? I'm going to suspend the one sentence rule for that one. <laughs> Because you're, you're, looking for, you're, you're looking for something different. There are people everywhere that, that need to hear the gospel. There's people everywhere that need to get saved. But doing an STM is serving a, 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 different, a different purpose. You're, you're going for training purposes, to train yourself for evangelism. Getting out of your context helps you to engage in evangelism without worrying about that, running into that person in Whole Foods next week. It, there's, there's a reason for doing that. It's not, it's, it's not a universal, like, okay, we only do ministry here. Um, otherwise, Jesus wouldn't care about sending people to the other ends of the earth. He'd say, just wait until everybody in Judea and Samaria are saved. And then, at that point, move on. Mm. It's, it's, it's silly. Killer. So I think there are certain values associated with going on a missions trip that you just don't get in local evangelism. So... There's one reason to go. There's a set of values attached to that. Getting away with a group of people, presumably, uh, for a focused mission for a short period of time. It's a burst. It's an it's a, uh, intentional effort to go do something great. That's good. You should do that. You're going to learn a lot. There's a lot of benefit to the people who go. So I think there are several good reasons to do it. Uh, so I think that's one set of answers, and there's probably more we could explore there. But I think there's another element, <laughs> and I don't really know how to say this, but... Um, I'll start by saying because, because we're not, we don't want to be lazy. Um, not that the person who's saying that is a lazy person, but think, think about this with me. Um, just because it's far doesn't mean we shouldn't go. Just because there are people that are closer and easily, more easily accessible doesn't mean we should spend all, our, all of our time there. Uh, in fact, the person who says, well, there's people in Orange County, why do we go to Utah? They might walk past 100 people to get to the person at the spectrum to go and share the gospel with that one person. In fact, they might drive past Burger King, a Burger King and an In-N-Out to get to the spectrum. So you, you're actually doing the same thing. <laughs> to eat what burger at the spectrum that's better than In-N-Out? Yeah. I don't have one. I don't, I've, I've been controversial just, enough with the I'm cats. I'm pressing your analogy. <laughs> so I just think distance shouldn't stop us from going to do important things. Excellent answer, guys. 
Okay, the one sentence rule is back in effect here. Is self-harm a sin? Yes. Uh, we, what kind of self-harm? Yeah. And I, I think, it, yeah, it absolutely can be. The, the, but what kind of self-harm? Yeah, the, the, the common definition of self-harm, yeah, the answer is yes. Okay. You're, you're, yeah, we're thinking like probably cutting. Yeah, cutting. Flogging. Flogging. Uh, what Christian book other than the Bible do you wish you would have read in high school? Or advice for a current high schooler to read? I got an uh, easy one to this. Uh, Thoughts for Young Men, J.C. Ryle. Ooh, so um, maybe have you, have some of you guys have read that, right? Okay. <laughs> changed my life. I mean, that book was awesome. I'm, I, I would read that. I read it in college, and I wish I would have read it in high school. I would say R.C. Sproul's book on holiness. The beginning's a little weird, but understanding God's holiness is fantastic. What should I do if my brother gets mad when I call him cute? <laughs> Don't ask Pastor Doug. He's the anti-cute guy. <laughs> Probably not cute. Um, Start calling him ugly and see how he feels. <laughs> and then he'll want to be called cute again. Do you like basketball? And if so, what team? No, no. <laughs> okay, and I think that's going to end our lightning round. Our second, perhaps our last, but maybe not, because there's several questions here that I want to get to. Okay, um, one person writes in here, I am... Uh, struggling with bisexuality. Um, am I a bad Christian? Or if I am, I could, so the way they word it is, if I'm bisexual, am I a bad Christian? That's all they put, so work with that. Yeah, I mean, I like the honesty, uh, at the, the transparency of that question. Um, and I wonder why it's phrased that way. Um, I mean, could you ask the question, are, 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 do you think you're being a good Christian in uh, thinking that way? And I think it's hard to make a case for that being a virtue of a Christian. Uh, so I don't think I can say that that's a characteristic of a good Christian. And yes, it would be a bad you're being a bad Christian. I don't like saying it that way, though. Yeah. So that's why I rephrased it the other way. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's a helpful re-clarification. I would say it's important to distinguish between uh, what is termed as attraction, bisexual attraction is how many people talk about it, and bisexual activity, right? There is a, the heart of the issue is still there, but if you're if you're saying, hey, I consider myself a Christian, but I am struggling with attraction to people of the same sex and people of the opposite sex, um, then that is very much something that can be brought underneath uh, submission to God in your own thinking. Uh, to, to know what the Bible clearly says on homosexual relationships, to, to distinguish between this term bisexual, which makes it sound better, but all you're saying is, I... I have homosexual attraction or homosexual tendencies, 
So let's let's call a spade a spade of what that is biblically. It, it's it's the term homosexuality. It's it's very clearly a sin. So to to say that says okay now. Does that align with the truth of God's Word that says this is something that is allowable for a Christian to do? The answer is clearly no, and so that needs to be brought into captivity in your own mind. You need to harness that. You need to exercise self-control to rid that uh, that thought process. And I always, every time I answer this question, which I've answered it lots of times, I, I want to say this. There is nothing really different about that response than if a guy were to say, I'm struggling to lust after women who are not my wife. The, the action of, of having attraction sexually for women who are not your spouse is an unbiblical thing. You are not to lust after women in a sexual way and pursue them and to think on it and to dwell on those thoughts before you're married. You're only to have those thoughts towards your wife, to have those actions towards your wife. So I would answer the same thing to a man who is dealing with heterosexual attraction to a woman. You should not dwell on those thoughts. You should not meditate on them. You should not allow them to be influenced and encouraged by culture, by what you're consuming, by media, by your friend group. That should be something that you put into the category of a sin that needs to be cut off and killed. It needs to be a, a thought process in your own mind that says, okay, I know this is wrong, and so because of that, I'm going to actively put it to death in terms of thinking that it's okay to have those attractions. And if it goes so far as to actual actions, then I'd say, yeah, you're it's clear, clear violation, clear sin. Uh, you need to repent and trust Christ. Yeah, and so the Christian life is uh, consists of uh, suppressing certain desires, and that's, I mean, we're, we're told numerous places to, to do that, um, regardless of what the particular desire is. Uh, if it's a sinful desire, then Christians are supposed to suppress that, and I think there's a sense in which Christians are to develop and cultivate a new set of desires. Mm. The, whole, the Christian life is not about um, miserably uh, saying no to everything that you desperately want. The Christian life is about developing a new set of wants, a new set of joys, a new set of values, a new set of desires. And um, going back to my, the very first answer, uh, values and joys that are in, in the, the grain of the universe that God created. So um, I think that's just maybe something to add on there. Anything else to add on, Pastor Rod, or I don't know? You, you're you know, I, I would affirm and amen everything you guys are saying. I would say that the process of Christian maturity is a long, continued, often difficult process. That process of transformation is guaranteed. God guarantees that by purchasing it on the cross and affecting it through his spirit. But our cooperation with that process is what inevitably leads us to experience that grace or, uh, or the frustration and pain of, of giving in to some of our fleshly desires. So I appreciate your answer, guys. Uh, slightly shifting gears here. How should Christians think about criminals, murderers, rapists? Um, I think about Jeffrey Epstein. He's in the news, and you know he committed suicide. Um, people have committed horrible acts, horribly evil acts. For, for example, they write, is it sinful to hate them or to wish harm upon them? Should we pray for their salvation, even though we want them to get what they deserve in, in a way? How do we balance our internal sense of justice and God-given desire for sin to be punished with the commandment to forgive? and to share the gospel to everyone. Should we pursue the death penalty? 
I think it's important to look at the person's response to their sin. If they are devastated by their the, the fact that they killed a person or raped someone or whatever it may have been, if they are crushed by that, um, maybe if they became a Christian through that process, I think of um, certain disciples of Christ who had a pretty ugly past. Um, their contact with Christ and, and uh, following Christ gave them new life. They became new people. They, so um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You have in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but such were some of you, <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, various sins. Um, those don't characterize you anymore. You, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were glorified or justified. Um, so I do think the person's response to their sin is really important. If someone loves the fact that they sinned big, they're proud of it, that's despicable. And that is frustrating. We ought to be angry and upset about that. Um, but if someone responds appropriately to their sin, we ought to rejoice over that. Uh, I, I, I would agree that there's no sin that is too big for God to forgive, but that doesn't mean that we should just exonerate people based off of their sinful actions. So if someone commits a clearly moral uh, crime against someone, uh, yeah, there should be a right and just punishment. We should value justice. We should seek justice. We've said this before as pastors, but if we get a call from a woman in our church whose husband is beating her, we're not going to walk in the room and say, let's sit down and reconcile right now. We're going to call the cops and we're going to send him off to jail because that's what should happen. He, he needs to deal with his crimes. So, there are some crimes, biblically speaking, in the nation of Israel that, that do require the death penalty. I don't think that that's unjust to expect that. But I think the government is the one that exercises the sword, as the Bible says, uh, to keep its people in line. And it has the ability to make those determinations. So if the government, if we want to be obedient to the government, if they think the death penalty is something that is necessary for restraining evil in the society at large, then, yeah, we're good with that. And if, the, if they don't, then, yeah, they should still punish because that's their job is to use the sword to punish evil and execute justice. Uh, but all that being said, we look at Paul's prayer in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Though I was a, a, a violent persecutor of the church, a vile man, God, God saw that it was, it was able for me to be reconciled. I mean, this idea that, <laughs> that anybody can be saved, that doesn't mean that that person, once they get saved, gets out of prison and doesn't face the death penalty. They absolutely should mm. deal with the punishment for their crimes and hopefully face their creator with a clean and reconciled heart. Okay, so uh, how do Christians understand UAPs, a.k.a. UFOs? Oh, yeah. I'm all about You're the UFO this. guy? I'm the UFO guy for sure. Wow. So we got video footage. Yep. The, the yep. government's I know all about it, footage. Pastor Rod. Okay. See, I'm not that cool. I'm going to let you at it then. All right. So uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon is the new term for unidentified flying objects that's been given. There's tons of press in the media right now because there's supposed to be this UFO report that's coming out. It was supposed to come out two days ago. It has not come out yet. And so they're saying, yeah, tell, I know. Um, so they're, they're, they're saying, okay, here's this, all this evidence, all right? 
So um, I, I'll, I'll give you my opinion, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I think uh, the vast majority of the unidentified aerial phenomenon that is out there, in, in my opinion, is uh, demonic in nature. What you see as orbs or balls of light or apparitions that tend to transcend physical dimensions and live outside of the reality of physics. So if they're going really, really fast in one direction, turning 90 degrees, they're not operating within a physical realm. That leads me to think, in my worldview, that they're non-physical entities. And so a non-physical entity to me is a spiritual entity, and so my worldview very much says that, that can be demonic in nature. Uh, of course, the atheistic worldview and all the other worldviews say God doesn't exist. There's nothing outside of the physical. We're, we're materialists. Only the, the only thing that exists is material. Therefore, this must be material. So you always hear it reported in the media that UFOs, oh, this is a craft. They have no way to show that it's a craft. Uh, it's, it's a thing that they see that might show up on radar, but they don't know if it has any physical properties at all. So I'd say the vast majority of these things, that uh, are, a lot of them are... Uh, demonic in nature, and that the other ones are secret government things that we don't know about, or misrepresentations of normal things like planes. And there is clear evidence of the ones that are going out right now. I don't know why I know so much about this. There's clear evidence <laughs> of the videos that are out right now that they're just normal, everyday crafts filmed in the infrared, and when you film things in the infrared, they look really strange. Wow. So don't, don't be afraid. Aliens are not coming for us. Just demons. Just, just demons. <laughs> <laughs> You walk what, away what with just anything. Happened? How do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I don't want to say. There's an upcoming CBI course. So, <laughs> <laughs> my answer is so different, but I haven't read or <laughs> watched any of the stuff you've watched. Um, I, there is someone in my family who's into UFOs. So let's just say that. So I, I know more about it than the average Joe. You do. <laughs> Um, I already told you that I'm jaded about science, and I just feel like here, here's another, here's another instance. Watch. They're going to say, guess what? We figured it out. This is what it is. And then the next week, more information is going to come out. Oh, it's actually something different. Or a year later, it's going to be different. I just, I'm so frustrated by, um conclusions that are reached that are not certain. And that's where I, I have so much joy in and appreciation for studying a timeless, changeless book. Um, and I, I, I think every person in the room ought to study this book and understand what it says. It doesn't change. It's not constantly in flux. It's not going to say something different tomorrow than it says today. It's true. And um, so what, whatever the conclusions are from these people that you're watching, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, wait, give it time. They're going to change their answer. That's what I think. You don't believe. You don't believe. <laughs> I'll get you a tinfoil hat. Hey, whoever submitted the sugar baby question, define sugar baby, and I'll ask it. Define it. I just want to make sure I'm on the same page with you. So whoever submitted the sugar baby question, define sugar baby, resubmit it, and I'll ask it before we finish. Uh, earrings or, or body piercings, is that sinful? No. Watch Pastor Mike's video on tattoos. Yeah. I don't know. No, no. Pastor Mike have body piercings? No. <laughs> I hope not. 
Um, how do we navigate the decision of who to vote for for a California governor? <laughs> governor Newsom or Governor Caitlyn Jenner? <laughs> wow. I, I honestly haven't wrestled with that yet in my own heart because I'm just hoping for another alternative. <laughs> I really haven't. Wow. We've talked about it a little bit. You have an opinion, don't you? I'd vote for Caitlyn. It's a lesser of two evils argument. Some Christians have a hard time with that yeah. type of argument with politics. Vote your conscience. But I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that we're voting for moral leaders of the church. We're long past that. Yeah, we're we're not we're not giving character qualifications of First Timothy three to Donald Trump or to Caitlyn Jenner or to to Gavin Newsom. It doesn't it doesn't matter. So we're we're voting for who can give the most freedom and accessibility for the ongoing progress of the gospel, and whoever's going to do that is probably who I'm going to cast my vote for. What he said. All right, gentlemen, you've reached the last lightning round of the night. I just have a few more questions that will get one sentence answers. Some of these will be lighthearted. Some of them will require your slow, thoughtful response. Lecrae or Toby Mac? Lecrae. Lecrae. Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. That's a harder decision than like Bruce Jenner and Newsom <laughs> for me. That's my answer. Could it be possible for there to be life on another planet? Possible. Sure. Yeah, it can be possible. Is it plausible? I don't think so. <laughs> Likely not. I've just finished his sentence with mine. <laughs> um, should Christians be quick to defend themselves, such as being called bigots or being attacked on social media? No. Not on social media. How do you best lead your girlfriend? Can that, can that be more than one sentence? It's 849, Pastor Doug. I'm going to do it anyway. You, you, you are not married to your girlfriend. You are not called to lead your girlfriend. You are not the leader of your girlfriend. Your father is the leader of your girlfriend. If she has a, a dad in the house, you are not her husband. You are not the leader. You should exhibit leadership qualities, but you should not directly lead your girlfriend. A lot of commas. <laughs> Very Pauline sentence there, Pastor Doug. By, by chapter one. By making only commitments that you can and should make. Oh, that's good. Um, how do I deal with a friend who wants to be my friend sometimes, but other times acts like they don't even know me? <laughs> I would just find a new friend. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, you ready? This is the sugar, sugar baby. Sugar baby. <laughs> Do you all know what a no, sugar, sugar baby is? Is being a sugar baby morally wrong, like genuinely? So a sugar baby is female Wait. who okay. gives favors to a benefactor. 
I, I asked, it says like genuinely, and they, is, they, put, a, they put a clarification in there. Friends with benefits? Is that what you're trying to say? Like, no, no, not friends with benefits. What are you trying to say? A young female or male who is financially pampered, cared for by a sugar daddy or sugar mama in exchange for companionship. It says like genuinely, so I took it seriously, and they, they put a clarification. So, one sentence. I'll support you over here. Yeah, I think Jesus, Jesus says, who are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? They are these people who, uh, who follow me, who love me. And I think when you go to a church, you have a, a, a number of parents and a number of siblings, and I say the church is better. I don't understand the question. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I'll explain I, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Let's give it up for pastors Mark and Doug. We're so grateful to have them here. And this concludes our 2020-2021 school year. Congratulations, you made it. Congratulations, graduates, class of 2021. Grateful for you guys. Awesome. Let's go ahead and wrap this up like we do every True North. Let's pray, and then you guys will be released to go.